Well, good morning, everybody. If we haven't met, my name is Michael. I'm a member of the teaching team here at Mill City Church and glad to bring you a message this morning. Uh, would you say a prayer with me before we look at the scriptures together? Jesus, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity once again to worship in this school, Las Estrellas. We pray for the school. We pray for the upcoming school year that people are preparing for. We pray, God, for your shalom peace to be in the school and for every student, teacher, administrator who walks through the doors to feel your presence and that this would be a school where kids thrive and they grow and they learn about how you've made them and the gifts that you've given them and they see a bright future that you have in mind for them. And so we, we thank you for the partnership between Mill City and this school for so many years, and we continue to pray your blessing on it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So did you think of someone who impacted your life, who had a big impact in your life? Was it hard to think of someone? Did you think about how knowing that person has made a, a different changes or impacts on the way that you've done things in your own life. Maybe somebody that you look up to. Maybe someone where you think about just one part of, one aspect of their life, and you've thought, I want my life to look like that part of their life. When I started making this list of people for myself this last week as I was writing the message, uh, the list was super long, really fast, of people who have made an impact on my life, which I'm so grateful for. I thought first of, of my parents, who are some of the most generous people I know, and their strong marriage, and how that has had such an impact on my life. I thought of my friend Craig Van Gelder, who was a guy who guided me through PhD studies, which I never would have made it through if he hadn't helped shepherd me through that. I thought of my friend and mentor Elizabeth, who for 15 years has invested in my life, asked me hard questions, prayed for me every day given me space to have a retreat and talk about what's going on in my life. I thought about my friend and mentor, Leland Eliason, who shepherded both Stephanie and I as we started this church many years ago. And maybe most of all, I thought of my wife, someone I've been married to for almost 19 years now. And what a person of integrity she is and how I want that to be true in my own life as well. But my list could go on and on and on and on and on. My heart was caught up with my friend Eric Mortensen, who's part of our church, who's been going through really difficult times in his life, really amazing uh, health struggles, and how his faith continues to stay strong in the midst of it, and I hope to emulate that in my own life as well. Sorry. You get to know some people so well that you can basically predict how they're going to respond to different situations, right? You think of your friends, people that you're close to, and you think, oh, if they were here, here's what they would say. Here's what they would do in these circumstances. I'm starting to get to know these three kids who live in my house now. They're uh, about 11, 12, and 13, so we're just starting to get to know each other. And I was thinking about their personalities and the ways in which they're growing up and how you learn different things about what they love and what they don't love. And I, I'll tell you about one of my children who shall remain nameless. I know that this person would not go on a long bike ride of really any length, more than a block, unless there's ice cream at the end of the bike ride. Maybe some of you can relate to that. You just get to know these people and they have such an impact on your life. And my question for us this morning, collectively, is... 
Do we feel like we know Jesus that well? Do we feel like we know Jesus so well that we have an idea of how Jesus would respond in different situations that we face? Do we have a feeling for what Jesus would say when, when engaging in the kind of life circumstances that we have? Do we have an idea of what Jesus would say to you right now this morning about whatever it is that's going on in your life? Do you feel that kind of close relationship with Jesus right now? Jesus is not an idea. Jesus is a person. Jesus is not a set of beliefs that we call Christianity. Jesus is a real living being who wants to have a relationship with you and with us. But what, what is Jesus like? I've watched a couple episodes of The Chosen online. I know not everyone's a fan. Some are wild fans. Some don't like it. I get it. I watched a few episodes. For me, it really helped me imagine what would it be like to just hang out with Jesus? Not just read stuff that he said, but just be with him, right? Like, what would it be like to eat with him? Or go to a party with him? Or walk to some new town you've never been to with him? You get to know someone so much better, right? When you're just kind of with them, doing random stuff, everyday stuff. And what I want to say this morning is I think Jesus is inviting us into that kind of close relationship in the 21st century. Moving from surrendering to Jesus, which Pastor Stephanie taught about last week, if you go back and listen to that sermon, if you didn't hear it, like giving up control of your life over to, to God's control and leadership it was a great message. But moving from that surrendering place to this deep trust and friendship with Jesus. So Jesus can lead you and forgive you and heal you and provide for you and protect you and encourage you when you need it. So today what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about what does it look like to really listen to Jesus, to be close with Jesus and learn how to respond to the ways in which he leads us. We're going to look at John chapter 15. If you have a Bible and you want to pull it out or if you want to follow along on the screen or on your phone, John chapter 15 verses 9 to 17 is what we're going to read this morning in the Bible. A little bit of background could be helpful. Jesus is sitting at the Last Supper, the last meal that he's having with his close disciples before he gets arrested and eventually killed on the cross and then comes back to life. And so he's sitting with these disciples and he's trying to share with them a number of important things that he wants them to remember. You can, you can sense the urgency in him as he's trying to say, now don't forget this and remember this and here's what's going to happen next. And he's trying to lay out those most important things for them before he's not with them anymore. So we're kind of in the middle of that conversation in this text that we have for you this morning. John 15, 9 reads this way. Jesus is speaking. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love, 
I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Jesus is trying to help these disciples understand how important it is for them to stay connected to Him. To not just go off on their own and try to do their own thing. He tells them they have to stay connected like a vine stays connected to the core branch. If the vine gets cut off from the branch, it dies. It doesn't have the nutrients it needs. If it stays connected to the branch, then it will produce fruit, grapes, and other fruits. The way to stay connected to Him, He says, is to keep His commands. And so He's pressing upon them. And Again, imagine this dinner setting where He knows what's going to happen next to Him. And He's saying, don't just believe in Me. Do what I'm asking you to do. Don't just say that you trust me. Actually follow these commands, the core of which is love. Show the world what we are like by how you live your lives. Show the world what we are like by how you love each other. And Jesus is actually echoing back to lots of teaching in what we call the Old Testament here, where God would say to the Israelites for hundreds of years, one of the core things that you're doing as my people is you're living out relationship with me so that other people in the world will be able to see who I am through how you're living your life. The way that you love each other. The way that you treat people who are foreigners to your country. What you do with your money. The way that you engage with conflict. All of these ways of being in the world are supposed to be a light to the nations, the Old Testament says. People are supposed to be able to look at the people of God and be able to see God. And so he's saying to this small group of 11 people at this point, you have to love each other so that the rest of the world will know me in the way that you do that. Don't just believe in me. Follow my commands to love each other. Sometimes at Mill City, we use this tool called the Cairo Circle. And I'm going to give you a really brief description of it. We've described it in more detail in other places. The idea behind the Cairo Circle is that sometimes there's a moment in your life where God is trying to get your attention. Anybody had that kind of a moment in their life before? There's a moment in your life where God's kind of breaking in, in a way, and trying to get your attention. And there are some steps that we take to try to process that leading from God. And some of the steps that we take are kind of discussion-based, right? Like we want to understand 
observe, reflect, discuss. What is this moment and why does it have such meaning? And then on the other side of the circle, we make a plan and we have some accountability and we actually take some actions based on what we feel like God might be leading us to do. Well, I used to put a big X at the bottom of the circle when I was teaching this because I found that myself and others, we get stuck at the bottom of the circle. I call it the stuck moment. That too many times in my own life, I have sensed God inviting me into something and I've heard it and I've processed it and I've talked about it and I've shared it with other people, but I didn't do anything about it. And I believed that God was nudging me, but I just didn't act on it. The stuck moment. I think Jesus is trying to communicate to these guys right now, don't get stuck at the bottom of the circle. Don't just believe in me or talk about me or tell people that you knew me. Do what you have seen me doing. Do what I have done with you when I'm not here anymore so that other people will know who I am who didn't have the privilege of knowing me while I was here with you. In the 21st century, one of the biggest criticisms of the church is what? Hypocrisy. People who look at us as Christians and say, you all talk a great game, but when we look at what you're actually doing, it doesn't seem to line up with Jesus. And whether that's fair or not, it's a huge issue. And Jesus is addressing the same problem right here when he says, listen, don't just believe in me. Do my commands. Don't get stuck at the bottom of the circle. Don't just believe things. Do them. And you will remain connected to me. I was thinking there's all kinds of other examples in my life. Maybe you have them too. Right? Like I believe that exercise is good for me. I believe it 100%. I don't exercise much. True confessions. I have been riding my bike with my wife, which means we've gone like four times. So now I'm exercising. Thank you very much. More seriously, like I believe that we have a climate crisis. I'm not always doing that much about it, other than trying to cut down my own energy consumption sometimes. There are things in my life that I believe, I really do, but I just don't do them. Do you have anything like that in your life? This is the challenge of Jesus. It isn't enough to believe the idea that Jesus is the Son of God. You have to also accept his leadership and friendship in your life so that you can do the things that Jesus did. And that is how other people will come to know who Jesus is in the world. Jesus says that this love that he's commanding us to do, that my command is to love uh, your neighbor as yourself, to love others the way I have loved you, and there's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. And this is the integrity of Jesus, right? He's sitting at the dinner table telling them, you, there's no greater love than this than to lay down your life for the people that you love the most. And what is he about to do? He's about to lay down his life for his friends. There's no greater integrity than that, is there? That's why 20 centuries later, people still say, I have a lot of respect for Jesus. I might not be a Christian, but I have a lot of respect for Jesus. 
Because he didn't just tell people to love their friends and give up their lives for their friends. He did it. And he continues to do it. That's the kind of integrity and love and self-sacrifice that the God of the Bible is calling us to. To be people who model that kind of love for each other, the people in this room, and for the world that we all live in. Jesus' reputation in the world hinges on our ability to live and love like Jesus does. So following Jesus and responding to Jesus means experiencing God's love for us, receiving this love that Jesus is offering to us, and loving other people in the name of Jesus. One of the reasons why our mission statement at Mill City Church is to love our community in the name of Jesus. There are very simple spiritual practices that can help you do this, and I want to try one with you right now for just one minute. Uh, A breath prayer. Dr. Dale Dury did a version of this a couple Sundays ago. A breath prayer is just a prayer that you pray anytime, day or night, where you're noticing your breathing and you want to pray at the same time. Could be anytime, right? So this breath prayer just simply says, I breathe in the reality that God loves me, that Jesus loves me. And when I breathe in, I think to myself, I pray, God, I know you love me. Jesus, I know that you love me. You created me. I am a child of God. Try that with me right now. Just breathe in and hear the message. Jesus loves you. You are a child of God. Ready? Big breath. And then when you breathe out, you breathe out a message of love back to the people around you, the world that you're in. That Jesus loves the world. John 3.17, popular verse. John 3.17, that Jesus loves the world and gave himself up for it. So we breathe in God's love for us and we breathe out God's love for the world. Try it one more time. Breathe in and breathe out. Maybe that's something you could do this week to try to stay connected to Jesus. Try that breath prayer, especially if you're stressed, you're at work, you're at school, something's going on. Just take a moment, remember Jesus' love for you and Jesus' love for the world. As we move through this passage, we see that Jesus says he doesn't call the disciples servants anymore. Right? He says, because you know my business, my father's business, I don't call you servants anymore. The disciples know Jesus' mission. They know that he was sent by God, the Father, to show the world what God is like. They know that he's there to save the world as the Messiah. They're not really clear about how he's going to do that, but they know that's what his purpose is. And he calls them friends. He says to them, he looks them in the eye as food is around the table and says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Whatever insecurities you have, whatever you wondered about, whatever failures might have been in your life, I picked you for this group. That had to be powerful, don't you think? I think this is a highly emotional moment for Jesus. I imagine he might even be fighting back tears as he's telling them this, knowing what he's about to step into. Sitting at supper together just a few moments ago, Judas had wandered out of the room after Jesus said one of them was going to betray him. So they're down to 11 instead of 12. It's an intense dinner where Jesus is trying to communicate these last few things to them. 
And he takes this enormous relational risk at this moment, letting them into the inner circle of his life, the life of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a community of people who created the world and created every one of us. And in this moment, around this dinner table, Jesus is inviting these friends into that family, God's family. And it's risky because we're not that reliable, right? Have you ever taken that risk where you were raw, where you know you let your guard down with somebody? You told them the truth, what was really happening in your life. You felt the vulnerability. It almost made you sick to your stomach because you knew you're out there now, right? This is it. I'm, I'm being open with you. Have you ever done that before? That's the moment that Jesus is having right here. He's saying, I lay this. I don't have to do this. I am the God of the universe. But I'm opening this door so that you can be part of us. So that you cannot be just servants or workers, that you can be friends with God. No way that they could comprehend that. But that's what he's doing here. Jesus is not just looking for people to help him accomplish something, he's, he's looking for friends, he's looking for a family. He's inviting us not only to receive the gift of forgiveness and eternal life, He's inviting us into a never-ending friendship with God who created us. So do you think of yourself as a friend of Jesus? Hey, I know spiritual life goes up and down. Some of you have been Christians a long time. For some of you, this is a brand new idea. Do you think of yourself as a friend of Jesus? Do you hear the invitation that Jesus is offering to you to be his friend? And how are you responding to this incredibly vulnerable invitation that Jesus extends to us to say, let's be friends. Know what I'm up to. Be part of our work. Be part of our family. He says, I chose you and anointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Getting to know Jesus teaches us how God would respond in different situations. And our friendship with Jesus teaches us how to respond the way God responds to the various challenges and opportunities in our everyday life. That's how we become more like Jesus. So following Jesus automatically produces fruit, to use the metaphor that he used, right? You don't have to try to produce fruit. You don't make fruit somewhere and bring it into the conversation. Just by being friends with Jesus, you will become the kind of person who shares the same kind of love that Jesus shares with you. Does that make sense? It's like when you hang with a group of people for long enough, you start to talk like them, you start to act like them, you just try, you're one of the group. And you hang with Jesus long enough, you can't help but bear fruit. You can't help but love people the way that Jesus loves people. This is how the world will come to know how Jesus loves them. It isn't going to be just by mission statements or websites or declarations that we make. It is the honest engagement of authentic people following Jesus and sharing love with them, not just by declaring what we believe. The fruit that comes from living a Jesus way of life is such an important way that we introduce people to Jesus. It's not about arguing about beliefs. It's about saying, look at the life of this group of people and how they live 
and you will want to know the God that they worship. Amen? Jesus tells his disciples that when they're living this way of life, staying connected to him, they can ask for anything in his name, and the Father will give it to them. And I imagine Stephanie will help you learn more about this in the spiritual authority workshop that's coming up. Ask for anything in my name, and the Father will give it to, the, to you. Sometimes this text is wildly misunderstood. It says, Jesus is just telling us to pray for whatever we want, and he'll give it to us. No, obviously not, right? But here's some examples of what I think he means. I've got a friend named Jennifer. She's starting a church in South L.A. She's been given an old church building that nobody was using that much anymore. And she has a degree in food science. She's a master's degree in food science and a doctor of divinity. And she's trying to figure out how to do church and provide for people who are living in a food desert. So she's starting a farm on this tiny lot in South L.A., of the church's land. And she's starting a church and a farm at the same time. And, and I've been just working with her, praying with her. And I said, what do you need, Jennifer? She said, there's two things I need right now. I need a little bit of money, and I need like a small team of people who can do this stuff. And I said, great, let's, let's make a list of those things, and let's send it out, and let's have people pray for that. Because I know if we pray for those things, given how God has led you to do this, that God is going to give it to us. God is going to provide it, but our job is to pray for it and ask in Jesus' name, and the Father will give it to us. Another example, these are just made-up versions, not real-life experiences necessarily, but maybe you're in a work setting where you have some people who are challenging. I know there's not very many of those people around. Maybe you need to pray this morning that God would give you patience so that you can love the challenging people in your workplace the way that Jesus loves them, and that's hard to do. And God will give it to you if you ask for that. Maybe there's a friend in your life who's experienced so much hurt that they can't even hear the kind of message that I'm bringing today because their view of Christians or even Jesus is so negative they can't get past it. Maybe we need to pray for healing for that person's life before they can really hear that Jesus wants to be their friend. God wants to bring that healing in their life. The more that we align ourselves with what it is that Jesus wants us to do, we have more confidence praying. And we can start praying for things that might seem even impossible, but we know that God is going to act in some ways to help us respond in the ways that God is calling us to respond. Let me invite the band to come back up. Jesus wants us to ask for the things that we need to do the things that God is calling us to do. The primary calling that Jesus gives all of us is to love each other the way that he showed us how to love. He finishes this passage I read to you by simply saying, this is my command, love each other. But it's a very particular kind of love. Following Jesus means experiencing God's love for us and loving others in the name of Jesus. It isn't just love, however. It is Jesus' love. And Jesus' love means that we forgive each other because God has forgiven us. Jesus' love means we give generously to others out of the resources because God has given everything to us. Jesus' love means that we pay attention and stand up for those who are in need of help or in need of justice because that's what God has done for us. Jesus' love means that we think about the needs of others as much or more as we think about our own needs because that's what Jesus did for us. 
It means we pray for each other so that we can stay connected to God the way that Jesus stayed connected to the Father. How is God calling you to love other people in your life in the Jesus way of loving? A community of people who live like this and build a reputation for being folks who love in the way of Jesus will have a tremendous impact in the world. Those are the kinds of churches and communities that we need desperately right now to repair the reputation of God's church and to make the impact where the kingdom of God truly comes. And it starts by breathing in God's love and exhaling God's love back out to the world. Amen? Jesus is with us through his spirit now. You can feel it if you pay attention to it. You can hear it and believe it and you can listen and then you have the chance to respond and be part of the amazing things that God's doing in the world. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We are in awe of your love for us. I pray in this uh, next few songs, God, that we would make room for you to rekindle friendship with you. For the people in the room, God, who have not felt like a friend with Jesus for a long time, I pray that that friendship would be reignited this morning. For those in the room who have felt so close to you, I pray that it will be a celebration of that relationship. And for some of us, God, who haven't listened for a little while, maybe we've been ignoring, maybe we've been busy, speak to us clearly about how you would have us love others in the name of Jesus. We're listening. In your name we pray. Amen.